This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about brand as a key means for differentiation in a very crowded category. As you've heard us talk about before, brand is the starting place for any company to build the right emotionally led foundation to connect with its consumers. And it's those emotional connections that when built authentically drive consumers to choose you more often indefinitely. So how do you go about building this differentiation? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today in this episode on four tips to utilizing brand differentiation in a crowded space. But first, we have a special guest here today to give his unique perspective on brand differentiation in a very crowded space, and I'll let him introduce himself. Andy Snyder, brand manager at Rheingeist Brewery, located right here in Cincinnati. Well, hey, gals. How are y'all? Good. How are you? Good. I know. I'm happy to be here. On this rainy day. Yeah, yeah. I know. We have some <laughs> terrible weather here. But this is classic Cincinnati. No, it is it is a pleasure to be with both of you today, and I'm excited. Very awesome. excited to dig into this. All right. Well, with that, we will get started. So number one here for the four tips for utilizing brand to differentiate. Make sure your why translates into all communication channels. You hear Ann and me talk all the time about the importance of why. If your brand does not have a why, you do not have a brand. So if you need some help with that one, please revisit our podcast episode, Four Reasons You Must Focus on Your Brand in Order to Build a Successful Business, and that is episode 14. So check that out if you haven't done it, but in the meantime, we will keep moving and assuming that you have your why ready, really because it makes sense to explain why you're in the space you're in beyond just what you're selling. So we're talking about beer today, right? And we're going to let Andy here chime in in a second. But it's that idea that if you're just selling fill-in-the-blank beer, whatever the case might be, if you don't have a why, the consumer will not connect with you on an emotional level. And therefore, you're completely missing the boat for that deeper brand connection. So we think it's just hugely important to make sure that why is really solid. And the other thing it does is differentiates you from the competition in the space. And now I'm going to let Andy talk. I'm sure this will be an exciting topic for everybody out there because (laughs) it's beer. But how they differentiate themselves versus the competition for the right consumer in, as we we all know, a very, very crowded space. So so I guess I should say, so Rheingeist turns eight this year, right? So so that's a big, it's a big anniversary, right? And, you know... I've only been there a fraction of that time, mm-hmm. but I've gotten to know that there was this original five, like these five people that started Ryan Geist together. And I would say that the why has not changed since then, yeah. right? And I, Which means you got it right. I hope so. You know, we'll find out more and more as, we, as our footprint grows, but mm-hmm. I don't think there was anything intentional about their why. And what I mean by that is I, I think they almost backed into what the why is. And hmm. to say it differently... These five people really started together to to just create great beer, mm-hmm. and and that's really the platform for where it began. But that's that's kind of blossomed, right? Mm-hmm. And it's I think early on begin to ask themselves, okay, to play into the word why, mm-hmm. why do we create great beer, mm-hmm. right? And what I have learned really is it's truly about bringing human beings together in the most positive way possible. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. about that human connection, right? And whether it be at the tap room, whether it be on shelf, 
when you go to a Kroger or to a beer store to buy something, mm-hmm. or even when you see us on social or if you get our newsletter, every single one of those is that emotional why of connecting people and hopefully bringing a bit of what I like to say bliss to people's day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to, to talk about that in more detail, I think why is such an interesting concept for brands, as you guys know, mm-hmm. right? April, you've worked on countless brands and, and you know, you worked in sort of the mothership of brand building, right? So, Don't make her head so, any bigger than it no, is. But no, it's, I'm it's, a genius. Yeah. <laughs> but, in, but in reality, you know, it's like the why, sometimes with why simple is right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yes. not stretching to, totally to right. do more than what you are is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I think when we think about ourselves at Ryan Guys, we're not here to change the world. You know, if we had that power, that'd be great, right? Mm-hmm. If beer could help change the world in a positive way, that would be an amazing thing. And I think people <laughs> argue with you that it's not changing the world in a positive way. <laughs> well, that yeah. is true. That is true. And I guess, but what I would say is, and this is how I frame it to myself, okay? It's like, we're never going to change the world. But for people who are out there changing the world, maybe they're not changing the world, but but they are for people around them in some capacity, whether yeah. they be parents, CEOs, mm-hmm. whatever it is. When they're interacting with our brand, that's that's like that moment of respite mm-hmm. and that moment mm-hmm. of whether it be refreshing, relax, relaxing, um, calm, whatever it is. That's what we want to deliver with every interaction. And that is our why. It's just to empower that moment of happiness. And hopefully when you're drinking a Ryan Geist beer or in your, you're in the tap room, wherever you are, all of those things that cause you anxiety or stress or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. those leave for that moment. Mm -hmm. And if we've done that, then we've executed on that why, right? And so so that really is the sort of the why platform. That's the probably the best way to summarize it. Yeah. And I think you made a lots of excellent points, but the one I really want to point out is you really really just demonstrated the difference between selling a thing and selling a impact of a feeling. And I think the reason why Ryan Guys is turning eight this year and it's still around and it's still growing is because you guys concentrate so much on like, we're going to sell that human interaction. The price tag again is on the beer. Like that's the thing that we're selling. But what we are really selling and what people are engaging with us in in, in this brand is the human interaction and the feeling and the experience you get as a result of engaging yeah. with the brand. Mm-hmm. So I think that is like so critically important um, in being able to develop scale and, and so quickly like you guys have. And on that note, I mean, you talk about price, right? So like our why has to hit you in the heart uh-huh. because we're asking people to spend a little bit more money yep. when they go yep. buy a, a case of cheetah or if they're i mean i have two bottles of beer that i brought for you guys to see today right one of them 17 dollars, the other's 10 dollars. crazy and you know this is all this is a pint so this is these are really expensive beers so what i'm basically saying is if we didn't have that why it's really hard to ask people to spend the extra money mm-hmm. to buy something but that's what brand is, right? It's that perceived value. And when they start understanding the why, which they do over time, it makes it makes that that little extra three dollars or four dollars or five dollars compared to a case of, you know, something scaled domestic, big brand. More mass. Yeah. yeah. I mean it, it makes it more appetizing, right? And so yep. that's I'm just since you brought that up, and yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's even more important because we're selling a premium product. So yeah. yep. 
Yeah, and I think that kind of moves nicely into our next point here, which is make sure your communication strategy is rooted in your brand character. And we were heading in the direction <laughs> of the character. We, you know, as we as we do when these conversations flow quite nicely, we get in kind of the groove. But I think we've started leaning into the personality of the brand, which right after your why, you've got to be able to articulate more of a how. Yeah. And so your why says, okay, this is the reason we exist. But then you have to be able to manifest it into how do we communicate with our consumers. And that includes, of course, the channels you choose and the places you choose to be or choose not to be and all of those things you mentioned. Shelf, same thing. But you must define that brand character or personality on the heels of the brand story. And when we talk about that, we really do talk about human terms, right? So Andy did a really good job of explaining what they want their consumer to experience. Mm -hmm. Now we'll kind of move into more, what does the brand stand for in order to deliver that? But we always like to talk about it in terms of very human characteristics. And so a brand that has defined its why then needs to lean into if it were a person, how would it be communicating? And because the Rheingeist brand, I would say, is so dimensional, it indicates that you've done a really nice job at doing that because you can feel the brand mm -hmm. living and breathing. Mm -hmm. Like you said, whether you're in the tap room, it surrounds you at the shelf, when people talk about the brand. I mean, you, you you get a sense of it like they're talking about something that they love. And so I would just be interested to have you talk. And, you know, we've talked at length about this. Honestly, last week we were chatting yeah. about mm -hmm. the personality of Rheingeist and what you would like consumers to say about your personality. It's a great question. And I actually so I was looking and preparing for this and I was like, what would be a great personification of Rheingeist? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to something we talked about when we were hanging out together last week and my boss, Tracy, who runs marketing for it, she used this phrase, right? Easy edgy. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, yeah. I go back to so that all awesome the time. So I was like, well, how do I bring that to life a little bit better so people can understand? And there's this, I, I was like, what, what's a person that could maybe personify uh -huh. it? Or So I, I didn't pick a person, but I picked a band. Okay. Awesome. And the band I picked was kind of Green Day. Okay. Yeah. And I say I Green Day that. because yeah, I could see that too. If you go back to get off on a tangent for a second, you go back to punk in the early '90s, right? There was hardcore punk, which are bands like Rancid and mm -hmm. The Descendants, and these really, I mean, Blink 182 was like that in the early days. But Green Day, they might, they kind of started off that way, but as they grew, they had to become more approachable. Uh huh. And it it, it creates an interesting challenge that we're going to talk about perhaps later in the show, but. Green Day is a band that's edgy by nature, but they have a really wide audience of people listening yes, to do. them. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I thought that was a good example of that. And I think for us, you have to have a unique personality. Uh -huh. I mean, you can't you can't be all things to all people, number one. And you can't try to be something that's very general or else it's very hard to own. Uh -huh. And I think when we go back to that phrase, easy edgy, you know, I... I I'm going back to our brand standards document. Okay, so there's four <laughs> words. There's four words that, that, that we use internally. And really I, speaking our language I now. I love this. I know. So, <laughs> this is a, uh, a master class. Here yeah. we go. I, everybody's listening. Yeah, I don't even know if people internally know that we have a brand standards document, but we do. Oh, okay? don't tell me that. Come on, Andy. You just negated what we were but, just supporting. No, in all seriousness, authentic is the number one thing, mm -hmm. right? And I think... These beers were built with such an honest intent from the very start. 
that that has trickled down in terms of how the brand sounds. So from tone of voice to identity, that authenticity comes through. And when you read the descriptions on the back of Ryan Geis cans or you read our social media, you know, we're, we're, we're always putting our best foot forward. Yeah, but we're not. We're not going to shy away from telling the truth. Uh-huh. And when we can't fall short of that. When I mean, you have a beer called Truth. We so. do. We do. And it's that's a whole different story. But in saying that, being authentic is, is really, really critical. And I'll talk more about being authentic in a second because I want to go through these other three words. So the other three, st- stoked, okay? <laughs> I and I say it. stoked because you can – you can go read a description that Ryan Geis writes and you can almost hear the enthusiasm in your brain, mm. right? So that's important because if we're going to deliver happiness and connection like we talked about with the why, well, somehow the tone of voice has to make people feel that mm-hmm. because I can't tell you that at, at Shelf. You as the consumer have to hear that in your own head. Mm-hmm. And so that that kind of enthusiasm that's around that idea of being stoked all the time um, is really, really important. Now, this word is an interesting word, okay? I know. I'm looking. I'm like, steez. I don't know what that is. Steez. So steez is a real word, I okay. believe. I mean, in the Urban Dictionary, at least it is. But it's like <laughs> what it really means is like you're, effortless, you're effortlessly cool. Okay. In other words, we are not trying to be cool. Mm -hmm. We just, by our nature, emanate this kind of coolness vibe. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a bit of authenticity with that because if you're trying to act cool, you're not being yourself. Uh And sometimes when I think about that, it almost sounds a little arrogant, but then I think about it more and I'm like, this is a brand that people are going to want to identify with. Mm -hmm. And when they're drinking Ryan Geist, they should feel that same level of coolness Mm -hmm. that we deliver with our experiences or with our cans or whatever it may be. And I think what offsets that a little bit is this fourth word that we use, (laughs) which is geeked. Okay. And being a geek and being overexcited about something in a cute way is so approachable and it's also authentic. Right. Mm -hmm. So it all ties together very nicely for us. Mm -hmm. And so I think whenever we're writing copy, whenever we're discussing a strategy, I know I kind of was joking earlier about I don't know if everybody knows we have a brand standards document, mm-hmm. but the truth is these are our anchors for mm-hmm. everything we do. Mm-hmm. So it's it's always there in front of us, just like any good brand steward would be. Mm-hmm. So those are the four words that drive us. And hopefully when, when people interact with us, they feel that mm-hmm. for the most part. Well, I also think it's it definitely shows through in all of your marketing channels. Like, yeah. I, I so enjoy your social. I think my favorite social post was the one of the guy who was, it was the, the rapid, like, almost boomerang style where he was, like, dressing up like the beer. <laughs> oh, gosh. Was it the dad post where it was, like, choose your character? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the my plan. God. Like I the mean, dad beer. yeah. And then it was, like, you know, matching the can. I'm like, oh, my gosh. How incredibly clever. But it totally, like, signifies all those four words. When you say those words, I yes. can nod my head and say, Yes, your brand character is coming through in your marketing channels in the way in that you show up. And I think that's so critically important because, and I'm going to say probably something a little bit blasphemous and, and all like... <laughs> I can't uh-oh. wait to yeah. hear this. In <laughs> all disclosure, I am gluten-free, so I no longer drink beer, but my husband loves craft beer. And when I ask him about it, he's like, you know what? Everybody makes good beer. Yes, right? they know, do. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, the props to all the other Cincinnati breweries here and they make all they all make good beer. But when they're trying to decide where to go, 
it is all on the character. It's like, what do yes. I feel like today? Mm-hmm. Do I feel like going to Ryan Geis' that? Or do I feel like going to Mad Tree? Or do I feel like going to Mad Like, it's a feeling. It's an experience. And your brand character is so critically important to differentiate your experience from somebody else's experience to make people feel like they want yes. to go there, right? Mm-hmm. Bring, bring it back to P&G for a second, right? Oh, as, this should be interesting. As, as an analogy, though. <laughs> so, I mean, I've always talked about this. It's like, and and I could be wrong, but but if you look at, the chemical compounds that make up a stick of deodorant from Old Spice versus Dove versus Axe, I mean, they have to be very similar in the formula they're using, I would imagine. You're now, talking I could to an wrong. engineer, I right? I actually worked in deodorants, so you're you're hitting like really close to them. The technologies are all really good. So I will mm-hmm. say that. Like Unilever makes a really good deodorant. Right. P&G makes a really good deodorant. We, we we won't have we won't go into a big philosophical discussion about which is better. But yes, you are correct. Yes. And but where I'm heading at is, you know, if you go into if you go if you go to a shelf where if your assumption is most everything is made in a very similar way, um, what's gonna separate it? It's exactly mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. and I love the old spice story because they did build an experience. Yes. I mean did. Yeah. and mm-hmm. and that packaging on shelf you know that first moment of truth, haha. Is... <laughs> well, there's now a zero moment. Zero of truth, moment so of truth. Know, I know. Bad. I do yeah. know that actually. <laughs> um, but it's storytelling comes in all shapes and sizes, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. personality has to be expressed in all shapes and sizes. So if it's not buttoned up at all touch points, you know, you got a problem, basically. And I think that's what we focused on, right? Mm-hmm. I so. think that's a really good point. Which you teed up number three quite Uh-oh. nicely with okay. that. Use your brand as the lens by which to make decisions on your marketing efforts. So you just said across all touch points, and that is exactly what we are talking about here. So we've talked about the why. We've talked about the how you speak. Now we're getting into the where and when will you do so. And identifying those channels that work well for your category and for your brand and where your consumers are through that brand lens is really the opportunity to choose the right places to be and to really make that impact that we've been talking about. So that when you stand at that shelf, like you said, Andy, and you're choosing, you are remembering and feeling all the other experiences that you have had with that brand. And I mean, I will I will say um, we were in Lexington this weekend and I was wearing my Rheingeist mask, which was uh, a gift from Andy for me. And we did go to several breweries and I just was amazed that just with that little Rheingeist bug, and okay, I was in the category, right? Fine. And I was in a localized city. But I mean, it was right on. And those people talked about the tap room. And it was one of the first things that everybody said. And I thought, isn't that so interesting? Because they were one of the first ones. They did it in a really big way. You used all of your brand personality attributes. You draw Mm -hmm. a broad crowd, but they are all really Mm -hmm. interesting and different. And so I think that that's an example of picking the really big bets and then also using those experiences as a halo for all the other touch points as well and making sure that it all works together. You know, Anne referenced the social you feel, the personality mm-hmm. there in those posts. You definitely feel it in the tap room and I've been spending quite a lot of time there with Andy lately. You've, yeah, I know. You've been coming to see me. <laughs> um, but you get it outside of that and that enthusiasm for the brand and, you know, even with 
you know, competitors. I was in competitive spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, they can quickly identify and then talk through the lens of what they've experienced from the marketing effort. And I think because you've done all that foundational work and then not given up and not said we're going to be everywhere and we're just going to, you know, challenge everybody where they are, whatever, you've been really meticulously focused on the channels that you use and why you use them. Very, very strategic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so here's what's interesting because it's like, it requires context to answer this question in a really good way because Ew. and and the Go reason i say that is because like the channels we were using 5 years ago 6 years ago weren't necessarily the channels that we're investing in today mm-hmm. right and so as the footprint has grown the audience has grown mm-hmm. the the diversity of that audience has has grown okay so now you have a wider funnel mm-hmm. you've got You've got more unique individuals. You've got tribes within a tribe, right? Yes. If Ryan Geist is a tribe. So, yep. so the marketing now, word would be segmentation. Yes. <laughs> I like tribes better. I like, well, you know, Seth Godin <laughs> wrote a book about it. So I'm just going to rip it off from him. But there are so many unique, let's just say tribes yep. within our overall audience segment. And it changes every year as we get bigger and bigger, as we go into different states, as the footprint grows. And so when we started out originally, you know, it was more, I always like to call it field of dreams marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. And if you build um, it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. And um, that's how it all started was purely word of mouth. I mean, it really mm-hmm. was. And, and it, it was a small brewery at the time. It was very ingrained in the craft community, but that's not sustainable if you want to grow. Mm-hmm. If you want to get mm-hmm. big. And, you know, I think as we've grown, our content mechanisms have gotten bigger, right? Mm-hmm. We focus so much on social and we really use that social page to deliver that same bit of bliss and kind of escape just as you would when you come to the tap room. Mm-hmm. The tap room was the first channel. Mm-hmm. That was the original channel. Right. Mm-hmm. And to be frank, it's still the ultimate channel, mm-hmm. right? If you want the full experience that the brand delivers, you're going to the tap room. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Yeah, the footprint's big. And our tap room is here in Cincinnati. So as we continue to grow and as we continue to get more purposeful and maybe even, I would say, aggressive with where we want to go, we've started to do things that we would have never done in the past. Mm-hmm. So now we're investing in paid media, mm. right? And so I said I was going to talk more about authenticity. So here's the challenge with paid media. And maybe this strays from the question a little bit, but I think it's important to know. Yeah, go for it. Like, take Green Day. Green Day did not used to be this massive band. When they came out with their first album, which is called Dookie. Okay. (laughs) Actually, I don't know if that is their first album. It's their biggest album. But even then, when they wrote that and they came out with that, they they were still a cult type of thing right? Mm -hmm. They hadn't quote unquote sold out yet. Mm -hmm. Now there's a parallel in craft beer with that. Okay. Where when you start to grow that core craft audience, which is a very specific audience, right? Um, Who we can't just continue to only market to, but that core craft audience starts to say, well, you know, Ryan Geis is getting bigger. Oh my God. I'm starting to see advertising from Ryan Mm Geis. They're selling out type of thing. And that's a hard thing to balance as a brand because What I said originally at the start of this podcast was the why for this brand has never changed. Mm -hmm. 2013, maybe the why has evolved, but it's never changed. Mm -hmm. And so how do you how do you weigh staying authentic to the why, but also wanting to grow? Mm -hmm. And I think that's been the the tightrope that we've been walking. However, I think we really believe in this because I think 
when we do our own research and we learn more and more about our consumers, there is permission to do more experimentation, not necessarily with media, but the types of beer mm-hmm. and the types of SKUs we release. But with that broader audience, we do feel like it's appropriate for us to continue to say, hey, guys, we're here, mm-hmm. you know, and we're going to deliver that the why that I set up earlier to you. So we're trying to do something channel wise that may not come across as authentic in an authentic way, basically, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But like I said, originally the tap room was the only channel. But content and paid media have been really what's driving us lately. And of course, the ultimate the ultimate signal of the brand from an experience standpoint is the can on shelf, right? Mm-hmm. We can never mm-hmm. forget about that. But that's kind of a convoluted answer to your question. Mm-hmm. But that's how I would think about it. I don't think it's convoluted at all. I think it's... Okay, good. That yeah. makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's actually very smart. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because um, you pointed out something that feels very nebulous to a lot of brands as they try to scale, mm-hmm. which is how do you do it in a way that you still maintain who you are and mm-hmm. your authenticity? And a lot of brands struggle with this as they scale. And what you have pointed out is like, hey, our foundation is so strong. Mm-hmm. It is so clear mm-hmm. that wherever we go, that comes with it. And that's what a lot of people miss when they're trying to scale their businesses, whether they're if they're trying to like open a new store or if they're trying to you know go into multiple different cities or if they're trying to go from little like shops into like big retail, is that they lose who they are for the sake of scale. And it's usually because it's not well defined. And so what you guys mm-hmm. did was really smart in saying, hey, no matter where we go, this goes with us. Right. I mean, and, and, and with that, it's the authenticity actually holds because it's like there's just not people in Cincinnati that would appreciate Ryan Guys. There's people all across the country to appreciate Ryan Guys. So you're not like st- you're not going like, hey, I'm mass appealing to now a broader consumer. You're appealing to the same consumer in a different area because you're coming with the same brand. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So you're not like changing that authenticity. And I think that's what a lot of people miss, um, especially as they're scaling the business, is that they feel like that, okay, all of a sudden I have to come something different in order to appeal to a mass, more mass audience. What they don't realize is like, no, your consumer is all over. Mm-hmm. You still need to talk to your consumer yeah. and build that relationship and build those brand love connections because that's who's going to become your ambassador. You don't have to become something different. You just have to be mindful of and and be strategic about where they are and making sure you're still talking to them no matter what channel you're leveraging. Perfect way to say it. And and so two points on that point, right? So that tap room, okay? Now COVID hasn't given me the you know the full exposure of what the tap room looks like. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to that tap room prior to COVID, right? It is it's so packed all the time. Mm-hmm. But when you go to our tap room now, okay, you're not just going to see what you think of as the stereotype craft brewery consumer or craft mm-hmm. beer consumer. You know, like last week I'm sitting there working in the tap room and I look over my shoulder and it's a dad and his son playing chess in our tap room. Mm-hmm. Son's mm-hmm. like eight years old. Okay. I see groups of moms coming in. Mm-hmm. I see groups of 22 year olds coming in fraternity guys, sorority girls. I see people that are my grandparents age coming mm-hmm. in. We owe it to ourselves. It's our responsibility to make sure that we're communicating to all these different groups. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. now that's authentic in and of itself, right? That's something you're responsible for. You're mindful of it. You're mindful of it. The Mm -hmm. other thing is, as we grow and as we pinpoint markets we want to go to, 
we basically have a responsibility to advertise because mm-hmm. we can't just go into that market and show up believe, and say, hey, I'm here. Yeah. Field of Dreams is just not going to work Everyone's in a really, really competitive place. Mm-hmm. Right. We just went into Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Chicago is a really, really dense town for that. Mm-hmm. Goose Island is is massive yep. in Chicago, right? Um, and then there's just tons and tons of other breweries around Chicago. It's a beer drinking town. Mm-hmm. It's hard for us just to show up and expect people to buy. So we owe it to our sales team to to do smart advertising mm-hmm. in an authentic way. And yeah. that's kind of how I would tie it in. But it's it's a challenge. It's a tightrope. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, and I think, you know, you're not alienating anyone because you are being really mindful about the subgroups that exist and the fact that you're going to be inclusive to all of them because you're assuming that they love Ryan Geist and they love the beer mm-hmm. and they want to be part of the experience, right? And so I think that while you will have those hardcore folks that, you know, might be really on the the fringe, sure. <laughs> perhaps, they may end up opting out. But I think what it's you do, it's a fraction. And I think what you do is you continue to invite new groups in right? and you still maintain the right level with those groups, whether it be through the skew proliferation and, you know, all the different things that you're trying, like from a marketing standpoint and, I think that there's something really awesome about seeing that diversity within the tap room that you may not see other places. But as a leader in the space, you are very mindfully welcoming other people in. Like-minded people, right? Like-minded. So I think that's the other thing that you guys have done really well. Even though you have, and we talk about this all the time, a different demographic. Yes. Yes. The psychographic Psychographic. is still very much united in in the same like-minded mindset. And that is so critically important because a lot of people will segment their consumer based on demographics. So then when you start seeing people like mm-hmm. that come in, you start freaking out like, oh, yeah. no, now yeah. we have to cater to grandma. How are we going to cater to exactly. grandma? And then all of a sudden you make a knee jerk decision to shift your brand character. And then the people who loved you for who you were are done like, what the heck just happened? Mm-hmm. Right. So you're, yes. you're bringing like minded people together regardless of demographic, in order to unite on a psychographic, which is, again, the emotion versus the fact that, you know, you produce really good beer. Mm -hmm. And look at the portfolio. I mean, so first of all, we do, there is skew, skewmageddon, as as my boss would say. Okay. So there (laughs) is- I love that term. I love that. It's a proliferation of stuff, as as you said. So we, when we innovate, we have to be really purposeful when Mm -hmm. we innovate. But look at what we're innovating into now. Even, even what we're coming up with these days it's it's meant to to be broad appeal in a sense, or it's meant to hit an audience that's not necessarily the hardcore craft beer drinker. Mm-hmm. We're coming out with our first shandy in a couple weeks, right? Interesting. Mm-hmm. So historically, we would have never, we we would have been IPA, IPA, pale ale all day long, right? But we have a shandy. One of our best selling family of brands is Cidergeist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Four unique skews of cider. Um, we have a, f- a family of fruited ales, which is one of my favorite things that we make, you know, they they are heavy in fruit, they're heavy in acidity, and, and on the surface, maybe it's not something a, a guy would like. Mm-hmm. They're my favorite things to drink at the brewery. But then, of course, we, we have truth, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. which is our cornerstone IPA. Mm-hmm. So there really is something for everybody at Rheingeist, and that's purposeful. Mm-hmm. That's very purposeful. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, and that that goes into kind of what we're going to talk about next, which is really utilizing your brand purpose mm-hmm. when you're going to evaluate any sort of 
competitive threats. And, you know, Anne just mentioned from a consumer standpoint, getting nervous when somebody not in your demographic comes in. I think this also happens in the competitive space where if you're not using the lens of your brand and you're not really confident in what you stand for, you see businesses panic when the competition does something else. So it might be like, oh, they did a skew we never thought of, or shoot, their tap room kind of looks like ours, or oh, their tap room's cooler than ours, or whatever the case might be. And then decisions are made from a knee jerk or really, you know, short sighted perspective that then you start getting your brand off equity because you're mimicking your competition instead of really Hey, that can looks like ours. Yes, which you do have some that are are doing exactly what I'm talking about. But the things you should really be thinking about just to make sure when you're making those decisions is will the threat impact my brand's ability to reach my consumers? Is it a wave, a ripple, or a change in the landscape? And is my brand strong enough to ride that wave? What's the worst case scenario of what can happen? And is this a trend that we really want to play a part in? And I think all of those really apply when you're talking about um, breweries and the beer space and craft beer in particular. I mean, we were having a discussion last week about how much it's grown, I think, from 2,000 to over 10,000 breweries just in this country. And so you can see how it would be really easy to get lost in chasing everybody else or getting nervous as a leader in your space, in your city, you know, of what, you know, how do we manage all of this? But I think because you're so confident and clear in your brand, you're using that lens anytime any new competitor comes in or a competitor does something to weigh all the things we just talked about. I think, and and we're confident in how we got to where we are now. Mm -hmm. I mean, the one thing I told you all last week, which is a crazy stat is, so they measure breweries, you know, the size of a brewery is typically based on the amount of barrels of Beer they churn Barrelage. New word I learned. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a there's a watermark that's a big milestone, which is getting to a hundred thousand barrels. I mean, it's it's sort of a big league number. And Rheingeist was the fastest brewery in America to get to that number mm. from zero to a hundred thousand. So from a startup perspective, it was the fastest growing startup in the beer industry ever. That's a I mean, that's a crazy thing to talk about. But what that did was and, and it this might sound arrogant, but I think it's a healthy level of arrogance. It's it's given us confidence to continue doing what we do mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have a formula down that works and we believe in it. Okay, that's great. That's great and mm-hmm. authentic. So I go back to that word. However, in a free market world, like, yeah, we're always scared of competition mm-hmm. for a number of different reasons. And I think about our competition, you know, but I think about it in the same way we would talk about competitive audits when we were working in an agency, yep. right? Yep. There's your aspirational competitors and, and and then there's kind of your real competitors, mm-hmm. right? And I look at it in the sense that we have to play offense and defense at the same time. We have to play defense in our home market where we have a lot of breweries that are springing up and they're small, they're scrappy, they're us, you know, mm-hmm. but five years ago. Mm-hmm. And but we, but it was weird because we kind of cheer them on too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. that. I mean, this isn't this is a this is an industry that is more about brotherly love than mm-hmm. anything, which or sisterly or sisterly love. <laughs> um, it's about love, you guys, right? And so, all that being said, is we worry about those smaller breweries are able to to do things a little bit quicker, experiment mm-hmm. quicker than we are. Okay, the way that we scale, the way our 
our manufacturing works, it's harder to do so. And so we learn a lot from our little brewery competitors Mm -hmm. because they're coming out with things that maybe we've we just don't have the ability to to innovate on as mm-hmm. quickly. I mean, Urban Artifact is a local one that I always look at because I'm a huge sour fan. Mm. And they churn out some of the most interesting combinations of flavors. And I absolutely adore what they put out. Um, so we learn a lot from kind of the defensive side. Mm-hmm. But then as we grow and we go into bigger markets, I mentioned Goose Island. Well, that's it's sort of an aspirational competitor mm-hmm. to a degree. But we're getting there quicker than 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 we think. Mm -hmm. And so now we have to play offense, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not looking at them as much from an innovation standpoint. We're looking at them much more from a from a market share standpoint, much Mm -hmm. more functionally than we would maybe our smaller competitors. Mm So there's two sides of that coin is basically what I'm saying. And one is playing defense at home, continuing to serve people as best we can, but also learning from those smaller breweries. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, it's it's playing offense and you know, hopefully carving out market share in places where, you know, you have some pretty dominant competitors, you know, and if we ever go to the West Coast, that'll be a big, big thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's some big boys out on the West Coast or big girls, I should say. Um, <laughs> but but I think that's the best way to talk about our competitive makeup, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And so it's just a crazy world. And, and you balance all that with the fact that we all root each other on. Mm-hmm. Everybody pretty much plays nice in this. And I think it all goes back to the to the kind of craft mindset, mm-hmm. which is we're all makers in this business. Mm-hmm. Um, artisans, crafters. Artisans is a really cool word for it, I think. It, it kind of takes my mind back to sort of when they used to make beer in the olden days, right? Like back in Ireland or something. And But that's the roots of this. Mm-hmm. And so when you all rally around kind of this idea of, of craft, there's a nice common bond that 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 just threads through everything in this industry. Mm-hmm. This is this is an immensely competitive industry, but it's also an immensely harmonious. Harmonious? Yeah, yeah I harmonious. think that works. Harmonious industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. So it's that's just... It's unique from that standpoint, I would say. And I think it's interesting that you consider it offense and defense because I consider it all offense. Well, that's Based, that's a know, good way to think about yeah, it. Yeah, because I it's think... all inspiration, right? It's mm-hmm. all like you're inspired even uh, – you, you called them, um, you know, defense being more of a functional, like, response. Correct. But actually it's probably a little bit more of the inspirational response. It's like, hey, what are they up to? Yes. And, and what do we want to do? But it's not like, hey, we need to squash them because they might come in and, like, infringe on our space. Not at all, right. And I think the, the that is a very offensive mentality and what it allows you offensive as in, like – playing offense, not offensive as in like it's bad. Okay, so just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's very offensive because it's um because you're so like you said so confident in who you guys are. And actually everybody is so confident in your heart because they believe they have a a craft or a style that's unique. Mm-hmm. And that's what why the craft brew uh the craft beer industry is not a commodity, even though beer itself mm-hmm. is a commodity. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this a lot about, okay, how do you rise from like a commodity into something that's coveted and that becomes a brand? A brand, and, yeah. and this is how mm-hmm. you you do it. And when you get into that mindset, then you can start playing more offense because what's happening over here becomes data. It becomes knowledge. Yep. It becomes inspiration. It doesn't become a threat. And that doesn't mean you ignore what's going on. It's But it's a healthy mm-hmm. reaction to, hey, 
huh, what are they doing? That's interesting. Let me assess that through my brand and see if that makes sense for me and how that's going to impact my brand overall. And ultimately, how's that going to impact the way that I interact with my consumer? Because that is ultimately what's going to then impact my revenue, my ability to scale. So I'm interested in then like, as you assess these competitive threats, how do you guys like internalize those? And how do you, if you could speak a little bit to, um, how do you decide you want to make a pivot or not? So sales data, we are a sales driven organization, mm-hmm. plain and simple. I mean, we're in manufacturing. That makes sense, right? Yeah. But sales data is really the driver of basically trying to predict where that next unique skew could come from, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So oh my gosh, we're noticing that, you know, fruited beers are month over month or, you know, quarter over quarter having a bit of a decrease. Why is that? Well, let's go dig into that. Okay, Mm -hmm. we learned these things. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that means maybe instead of this, we shouldn't be investing in something else consumers are flocking to. Mm. Arnold Palmer is an example. Mm -hmm. Consumers really like tea Mm -hmm. and lemonade. Uh Okay, we learned that. How do we... How do we move into that category, but still in a way that's unique to Rheingeist, right? So I would say that is going to be our biggest driver. However, to that end, those small breweries sometimes create trends that we just didn't think about mm-hmm. yeah. because they're mm-hmm. scrappier. I mean, it, it, I, I use the word scrappy when I think of those small yeah, breweries because fair. they just I, yeah. move like this. They move like this and they're not afraid to jump into something that doesn't ex- that maybe doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So... If we see some commonalities amongst smaller breweries in terms of what what's bubbling up in their world, that's more than just a correlation. Mm-hmm. That's a trend we need to think about. That's a trend we need to think about. And we have the ability to enter something like that at a scale that a lot of the smaller breweries can't. It's interesting. It's like you're seeing more and more big breweries coming out with things that you would have never thought. Mm-hmm. Seltzers are insane right uh-huh. now. I mean – I think is it oh gosh, Pabst Blue Ribbon just came out with a seltzer Light didn't they? Has them. Or Natty yeah, Light. Yeah. I mean, think yeah, about all has. this. This is stuff this is stuff that that they would have never ever ventured into. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for a big domestic beer maker to do interesting things unless they do something mm-hmm. like that. And the craft industry is all about innovation and creativity. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of true to the core of the craft industry. Um you know, I guess I would say I guess I would say that they are learning just as much as we are mm-hmm. from what we used to be, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, right? When we were smaller, we could probably pivot on a dime much more efficiently. And and I think we're just absorbing all of that from what's around us. And so I, I think that's probably the best way to answer that question. Sales data drives a lot of it, but also what we see the more experimental breweries doing, that kind of rises mm-hmm. up. We see it trickle uphill almost, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so... Those are kind of the two sides of that coin, I would say, where where innovation comes from, more or less. And so I think that – does that answer y'all's question? Yeah, and I think also think just to build on that one real quickly is the K, the KPIs that you guys use are mm-hmm. very clear. And, yes. I, and I love what you said um, a couple points ago about the fact that you know, achieving that 100,000 know, barrels the quickest gave you the confidence. Mm-hmm. Being that clear about what success looks like is also so fundamentally critical. So the sales data, yes, because that obviously is what drives the business. And mm-hmm. But also the internal, like, just, I'll just use the word, confidence of, of, the, of what you're doing in the program and the, and the feedback you're getting. 
from a more emotional standpoint, too, that helps to direct, hey, do we need to make a pivot or a shift? So I think the KPIs that you use are very interesting, some more internally focused, some more externally yep. focused, in order to make sure you're clear, hey, do we need to make a, a right. pivot or not? And And to jump in on that, there's another good point because – there is this coveted thing in this industry and it's called shelf space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you get two times a year where you get to reevaluate what you're putting on the shelf. Yep. Right. Resets. It's reset season is what they would always say. Confidence. Right. You talked about confidence and well, we have to have the confidence to also know when we failed at something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and when when maybe that innovation wasn't the right one. Mm-hmm. We have to have confidence enough to say, guys, we love this beer. We all love it. It's delicious. It's not selling. Mm-hmm. Okay. We either come up with something that's going to be a little more unique that will sell or that will fit, or we're going to lose that shelf space. Mm-hmm. Shelf space really does drive a lot of it. Now that's part of sales data. I mean, we use IRI, right? So yeah. all of that mm-hmm. feeds into mm-hmm. IRI. But if we if if we have any sense that we're going to potentially lose something because of sales. That is almost like hitting the red button. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we got to come up with something. Mm-hmm. So that drives a lot of it too. That's not always the best case because that's very reactive. Yep. Um, you know, not everybody's going to be Apple and know what the next yep. market's going to be. In fact, <laughs> I, I don't know how that happens anyway. But what I'm saying is that is an additional trigger. Shelf space is is kind of the holy grail for us. And yeah. if it's ever in jeopardy, then pivots happen really quickly. Well, and we're going to get to our next segment here in a minute of In the Trenches. But one last thing I do want to say that I think is really important here is, yes, you're in an altruistic category where everyone believes there's room for everyone else. But I think as a brand, you check your ego at the door. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of companies fail when they don't do that. So you just said, like, when the hard decisions have to be made, we're kind and human about it, but we make the hard decisions. And I do also think it's interesting that some of these big brands are leaning into what craft breweries are doing because I feel like... When this trend started happening, they were resisting. And it was like, no, no, they're not going to be anything or they're not going to compete with us or they're whatever. And then meanwhile, sales start to slide, which I think is why you're seeing them now be like, okay, I guess these guys are around to stay. Whereas I feel like the insular community of craft beer supports each other, but also does what is right for their brand consistently. The ones Mm -hmm. that stick around anyway. Yeah. And this business is not without acquisitions either. Yeah, fair. I mean, you're fair, seeing fair. you're seeing AB InBev innovate through acquisition yep. oftentimes. And that's not unheard of. It's just yep. it's how just you part do of it. it. It's, yeah. yeah. It's an easier way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yes. <laughs> Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right. Well, our next segment for all of you that listen to us regularly is in the trenches. And this is where we give real world examples 
specific to industries. Today, it'll be all through the lens of breweries and Rheingeist, uh, but with broader application. So anyone listening should be able to take these, digest what we're saying, see it through the lens of their business, and put things immediately into action. So number one here, we've talked a lot about this, so I think we can reiterate some of these points, um, but also I think give some advice on if you're not the leader like Rheingeist, what do you do? So it's Number one, what if there are other strong brands already in the space? How do we compete? And we would say that your why is more important than ever in that case. And being crystal clear, like you heard Ann say, it's not about the thing you're selling. It's not about the price itself. It's not about those things. It is why. Why do you really want to exist? Why do you believe you should exist? And who's going to care about your why? And then the second thing is we've talked a ton about authenticity today. I think that is hugely important. So making sure that you have the discipline not to go chase the other Mm -hmm. strong brands in the space and do a me too strategy that you're really kind of like pushing out those competitors in order to uniquely get people to pay attention to you. And the same goes for your consumer. So is there a new consumer in the space? That's best case. In the beer category, I would say there are more people being attracted to it. You heard Andy talk about how now more than ever, it's broadening that sort of, you know, psychographic mentality is bringing more people in. But the demographic, the age, the, you know, mix up of the families coming now Mm -hmm. versus just the the hipster as it was when when things first started, you know, who is going to be your consumer and why do you think you're going to either attract new ones or better serve the ones that are there? And then really, I think it's about having the patience to do the right things for your brand. I mean, I know Rheingeist grew really, really quickly. Right, right. And I think that's amazing. But I also think that there had to be a certain level of patience there and being clear against your goals. And, you know, Anne talks KPIs all the time, making sure that you're being disciplined about those goals and knowing that you can't just snap your fingers and tomorrow someone's going to want to acquire you, for example. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to be really committed. You have to be clear on your why, like I said, and you have to stay committed through the process. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I always think about if you're going to enter and it like wh- who's being underserved in mm-hmm. that industry, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, back to PNG. Axe crushed this mm-hmm. early on, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, yes, they did. They, but they did. I mean, they saw the, the the young male is not being served right now in this space, right? Well, what, easy, mm-hmm. easy win for us mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, they crushed that, and I think who is being most underserved, and how can how can the authenticity of the brand that you have serve them. I mean, I think, you know, Yingling came into this space very aggressively. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I yes. remember, I mean, you used to see billboards on 75. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a new one. They have that flight out, which looks just like oh, do they? Ultra in my mind, but Yingling flight. It's a light beer. Yeah. They got a big billboard up. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Okay. I have to go up 75 sometime, but 71. Oh, it's on 70. Oh, the <laughs> east side of town. Yeah. Oh, I, I go up the west side of town. Um, so where where I'm going with this is, you know, I don't necessarily know if anybody was per se underserved in Cincinnati, but they delivered a message that was very welcomed, which is this idea of legacy and family. I mean, that's what Yingling's all about. It's all about this started as a family, truly the Yingling family, and that's how we continue to grow and mm-hmm. prosper. That was a message that I think hit home really, really well in the mm-hmm. Cincinnati area. Mm-hmm. We're a very tight family-oriented place. Um, I think for us... You know, our brand is starting to, if it's not already, in a lot of markets, 
we have some general awareness already when we go in. Yeah. That's a good thing. Okay. Yeah. And there is perceived value with the brand already. Hey, they make a really good quality product. We understand sort of what they're out to do, that type of thing. Um, basically, what we need to do when we go into a new market is we have to, you have it written down here. You have to deliver the why that you that you have in the most compelling way possible. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's not easy to do with advertising, right? But that's yep. that's a common way to do it. And I think the other way to do it, which is a more authentic way to do it, is we have great partnerships in new markets that we're going into. Mm. And oftentimes we're gonna we're gonna build on trust. And what I mean by that is we might partner with a brewery in XYZ market that already has a high level of trust and therefore we're grandfathered into that endorsement mm -hmm. or that equity. You know what I mean? So for example, in Chicago, we have a partner who has a massively strong reputation up there and that's a fantastic way to enter a market because it's a, it's almost a rubber stamp for mm -hmm. us. Right. And I think it's okay to play off equity of your partners. If it helps you start to blossom into what your own equity is and, and you start to communicate that. And Chicago is going to be an interesting case for us to, to look at. I haven't seen how sales have gone since we launched. Mm -hmm. um, but in all honesty, I mean, we didn't kill ourselves spending time looking at what Goose Island does. We didn't kill ourselves spending mm -hmm. time looking at necessarily how other mm -hmm. brands entered really because, yeah, I mean, we didn't, you can't stray from what we do best at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And so I would say the combination of how you have it written here, which is delivering the why in the most unique and compelling way possible, fi finding who's most underserved. And also partnering with people who have strong equity already, which is not always easy to do. It's easy to do in our industry, but, you know, it's probably different CPG products. It's might not be null and void, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying those that kind of trifecta, that's how we enter new markets. Mm -hmm. And it's served us well so far. I mean, our footprint's significantly bigger than it was two years ago. So mm -hmm. that's how we'll continue to prosper, I think. Yeah, and I think there's another nuance to that too, which is because um, I, when I was drinking beer, I loved Yingling, and mm -hmm. you know, before only available in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. So when it came to the to Ohio, it's like oh, tons love of excitement Yingling. because I would already I was there and I had it, and I think it says something too about the experience you create in Cincinnati at Ranka. So when people are coming to visit the city, yes. they go back home, and then all of a sudden you emerge into the city. You already have those brand ambassadors mm -hmm. there. But I think it goes beyond just the craft of your beer because I think the tap room is unique in itself too. Mm -hmm. So I was hoping maybe you could speak a little bit <laughs> to the tap room and some of the inspiration. I mean, you talked about you know, maybe the artwork a little bit and about how the founders oh, have influenced and maybe the dinosaur story. I'll, talk, I'll tell you yeah. all the crazy stuff. The dinosaur stuff. story was, was, was awesome. So it, partnerships are huge. The tap room's the epicenter of everything. I love, like we were talking with my boss Tracy last week and she had the greatest way to frame this up. She's like, She's like, we try to basically create Willy Wonka land uh -huh. yeah. for adults, yep. right? And so, like, you remember the original um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and he walked, and everything in that room was edible, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it was just like <laughs> insane level of bliss, right? Um, so we do crazy, crazy things in our tap room. Very crazy things. I mean. And, and, and it goes from as simple as we're going to turn the entire tap room into a roller skating rink um, or we're going to build the biggest crowd center for watching FC Cincinnati games if you're not at the stadium too. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys, um, you know, the Cincinnati Museum Center has the biggest dinosaur skeleton in the world displaying. Wouldn't it be great for the community if we brought it to Rheingeist in our tap room? Because holy smokes, our tap room is 
the biggest room in Cincinnati maybe mm-hmm. and just have people come and see it for free and build it, it's it's joint growth for both our partner and for us. And but so you also we, have a beer skew that supports it. We do Mastodon. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, <laughs> it all connects. It's we not do. just a, it's not just random. That's what I no, want to hear people say. No, it's not just right. random. It was like it, all it, with I, intention and an authentic connection. It is, and that has trickled down to a lot of the releases that we've been doing. I mean, there there was every vote counts, which was a pale ale that we made in collaboration with. I think it was a collaboration with a number of different breweries. It was all about getting the vote out mm-hmm. this November, mm-hmm. right? Um, Black is Beautiful is a huge beer that was made. I think this was made on the West Coast, but, you know, to celebrate Black History Month and to honor that. So those initiatives almost lend themselves naturally to the craft beer space. But going back to the tap room, I mean, to your point, Anne, everything we do there is purposeful and it's mm-hmm. tied to something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we're going to do a roller skating rink, it's because it's got a disco vibe to it and we just released a skew of cider that has a really cool disco-y vibe to it and story to it. Mm-hmm. So it must tie together. And I'm glad you made that point because Double Oak Mastodon, which is the one you're talking about, it's a very small rarity run, so I don't think about it as often, mm-hmm. but that is true and that coincided with that release. Yep. And mm-hmm. Who's to say maybe we'll do something special for the for FC because we're we're building a growing relationship with them. I, I actually don't know if we are, but that might be a good idea. Who knows? <laughs> so it's like so I, I just it all ties together. And to your point, that's the heartbeat of the whole place is that tap room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before COVID, we used to do crazy, crazy things. Y'all, I mean, raves, disco parties. We talked about the dinosaur we also used to just give away crazy mm-hmm. things. Wiffle I mean, ball tournament. Oh, yeah. We had a wiffle ball tournament when we released Wiffle, which is one of my favorite uh, skews. But, you know, when we released Cheetah, which is this beautiful gold can, but it's it's meant to be approachable kind of for, for your dad beer drinker. Like my dad drinks Coors Light. Mm-hmm. This is the only beer I can give him from Rheingeist that, mm-hmm. he'll, that he'll want to try until he makes his way to the others. But we gave away a golden lawnmower. Right. And it's like just (laughs) silly stuff like that. And but to your point, it all ties together. There's a common thread that they all lace into. Well, and and one of the I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here in the the plan. But the one of the questions is, as a leader in the space, how do we continue to use brand to stay on top? And I think the things that Andy is outlining here are hugely, hugely important to that effort, because I think what you talk about, right, is innovation, but innovation with intention and leveraging mm-hmm. all of the assets you have in a way that works together. And so I think it's um, it could be really easy. And we see this with other other categories and, and clients, honestly. Where there's this mentality, you know, we've talked already about ego, but we're the big guys, so we don't really have to do much, right? We're going to stay the big guys. And that's a really dangerous way to think about things. But I think you guys do a really nice job of innovating, but also sticking with a strategy that works for you. So I think people attach to it. And identify you as a leader in the space through the use of these things, but it also gets you credit as the leader and staying on top as the leader because you continue to push your things forward, mm-hmm. even though you are the leader right now. I agree. I think that's a great way to say it. And I mean, a, a good example of that is if you go to if you go to the beer aisle in a store, okay, and you look at especially the craft beer aisle, mm-hmm. okay, there is no hard and fast rule with, with can design and craft beer, right? Mm-hmm. With that maker attitude, some of the, some of the designs in craft beer are – just so crazy Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and i it's great for the right person it's great yeah um 
we took a different approach. I mean, simplicity and was our key, mm-hmm. right? And it all started with that skull drop. Mm-hmm. That skull drop was so special because it encapsulated so many things in a logo. I mean, we say this is our logo. This is not our brand. But that logo speaks volumes about the brand. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. everything around that, you guys, I mean, if you look at our cans, they are without question in my mind – the most simplistic from a design standpoint. And I mean that in a positive way, right? The most simplistic from a design standpoint in that aisle. Mm -hmm. And that cut through a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to say I don't like a lot of the other crazy designs out there. I mean, one of my favorite breweries, it's in Charleston, South Carolina, is called Revelry. Mm -hmm. And Revelry, it's almost like they get Salvador Dali or somebody to paint abstract (laughs) art on their cans. It's beautiful, Uh right? But think about our funnel that we talked about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. We have to be wide enough for people to be able to approach us. Mm-hmm. And I think craft beer is hard enough to understand as a novice anyway. Mm-hmm. Like what's the difference between, you know, what's the difference between a, a triple IPA and a pale ale? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to rifle through if you're mm-hmm. new to it. So our can design, we just feel is so approachable. And that simplicity welcomes people to come forward and learn a little bit more. We're not we're not over the top with our design for that very reason, I think, in many mm-hmm. ways. Um, but you've also seen other breweries, not going to name names, but other breweries have shifted how the look and feel of their cans are. And we see some stuff out there where they're like, you know, that could – that could pass for a Rheingeist can mm-hmm. sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we take that, honestly, though, as like a huge compliment. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it stings a little bit when you first see it. But I think there, there's nothing better for our creative director than that to see. Because he's like, you know, I, we, we are the leader. We are the leader. And look at how that's trickling down to other brands. But yeah. I, I just think, you, you know, to the listeners, walk through the beer aisle sometime and you tell me – what you think sticks out the most. Mm-hmm. And and I, it'd just be interesting to hear because craft beer is not known for simplicity in design mm-hmm. or simplicity in naming or simplicity mm-hmm. in style. I mean, what's this one that I brought in? It's called Infrared Eclipse. It's a creek style ale with cherries. Like, what is that, right? <laughs> like, if you don't know what that is, if you're not a true craft person, then your story and your design has to help people it's a funnel. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very much like a buyer journey. It's almost a, a user experience case, right? Yeah. I mean, we design websites in a way to, to, to minimize the amount of steps from one place to the next. Yeah. And we're doing the same thing with can design. How do we minimize the amount of steps from first seeing it on shelf to purchase? And less friction is great, right? Yeah. So I, that's... Well, and I think, you know, you've mentioned this whole time about learning from others. I think there's a lot to be learned from Rheingeist for this very reason. So I mentioned being in Lexington and wearing my mask. And, uh-huh. you know, I was amazed because, you know, you guys can't see this, but it's a little black mask with just the, what did you call it? The skull, the skull drop. drop. I love it. That's it. Right. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many people are like, oh, Rheingeist. And so I think, you know, there's lots and lots of iconic brands out there where when you get to that point, I think it's it's a milestone to be noted. I mean, I remember when like Starbucks took away Starbucks oh, off yeah. the cups. Right. And they have a similar little round. I mean, it doesn't look the same, but, you know, no, round totally. And the mermaid represents that brand now without any mention. And so I think you're right. And I think it can be hugely intimidating to people, you know, entering the category. I mean, I'll take someone like myself, right? Yeah. I know the Rheingeist brand. I know to buy truth for the beer drinkers in my life because they'll drink it. They like it. You know, it was one of the first beers my brother always loved, you know, that kind of thing. And you can rely on it, too. And I can rely on it, right? But 
when we go to some of these breweries, even, and you know, my, my sister's boyfriend is one of the ones that leans really into exploring and all the different brands and whatever. I'm a brand fanatic, right? Yeah. Some of the ones I've been to, I'm like, I can't remember the name. I can't really remember the visual. The logos are so complicated that I wouldn't even call it a logo from a brand perspective. The cans are so crazy that mm-hmm. if I ever saw it again, I probably wouldn't recognize it. So if I'm trying to walk the aisle and buy stuff that Chris likes outside of what I know, it's not going to happen. Absolutely. And so I think there, again, we've talked so much discipline today, but I think you guys do a tremendous job about being relevant, but not outrageous. And I think there's a lot of people in the category that have leaned outrageous to the detriment of their brand. It's amazing we've been able to do it, too, because there's a lot of outrageous people at Rheingeist. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's like, April, you and I go back to working in the same agency together. Mm-hmm. We always used to say, like, we were the island of misfit toys. <laughs> but we embrace that. We embrace we that. Did. We embrace the same thing at Rheingeist because there are so many crazy, unique people we work with. And there's chemists, there's accountants, there's biologists. Uh, crazy accountants? Okay. <laughs> seriously. I mean, not 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 crazy accounting practices, just crazy accountants. So it's like, I was say, you better be no, careful. No. But it's it's I think it's it speaks to the discipline of the brand. And yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, that's a perfect way to sum it up. Yeah, and if um, you guys were listening, Andy gave you a masterclass on scale too. So mm-hmm. what he mentioned is so ultra critical is that a lot of times, especially when you're starting up, you fall in love with your brand, right? And it becomes like a very personal manifestation of what you want your brand to be. And that's fine in the short term because that builds uh, you know, the, the word of mouth and, and those sorts of things and, and make it kind of crazy cool. But if you want to scale, you need to think about what's the next step out. And for, mm-hmm. you, know, for you guys, it was like, okay, how am I going to get to retail? And so the yeah. stuff that's working crazy cool in a very defined space, which is, you know, the tap room or, you know, in, in, in the local area may not work well once on shelf, mm-hmm. once, you know, mm-hmm. it's in, in the scale outside of your local area. And we've talked about testing and learning biases. We've talked about all these things about like, how do you think and how do you scale your business when you are having these these big, like grandiose dreams of, you know, becoming obviously bigger and driving right. revenue. So you need to think about then what's the next steps above where you're currently at and planning for that, which sometimes means that you have to like take a couple steps back from your brand a little bit, mm-hmm. even though it is like your baby and think about it more strategically than just, hey, like indulging your own personal sense of satisfaction of like, well, this is what I want. This is yeah. my brand. This is how yeah. I want my brand to be. If that's what you want to do, that is totally fine. And a lot of people survive very well in that localized area and are very happy doing that. If you do have visions for scale, you need to think about, okay, well, how is this going to show up in, on shelf? When people are walking by, you talked about the consumer journey. Like, how are they going to receive my brand in that space, especially if they're not familiar or as familiar mm-hmm. with my brand? How is it going to break through the clutter? All of those things are super important. And that's how you think about scale. I, I love that. And it's like, reminds me of, did y'all ever see the founder about mm-hmm. Ray Kroc? Who was, the, who was the actor, Batman? Um, oh, come he on. It. I, I can't know. think of his name either. Gosh, I feel, I feel like a failure. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. I think, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Michael Keaton, <laughs> that handsome devil. Okay. Yeah. So like Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton in that movie, when, you know, he kind of was starting to cut the McDonald brothers out of this. Mm-hmm. He changed the logo completely. Mm-hmm. And if you remember in that movie, He's talking about the golden arches and he's like, it's simple. Yeah. And that was his explanation, basically. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I think that's that's really true. Um, and I think that the overall experience really ha- – I think we've talked so much about it being tied together across everything. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said, like the tap room not trans- – or you said it, to the, to the aisle or if I've never experienced it before, what do I know about it or how do I even know how to investigate it? I mean, I think your brand continues to survive and thrive – because you make it far easier on a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. And like we said at the mm-hmm. beginning, while not alienating those ones that have loved you all along. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't say that I've ever heard anyone say, I don't do Rheingeist anymore because I'm all the way over here. It right. still continues to be in their mix and equally as important to them and kind of like a go-to even for them. You know, I might experiment out here, whatever, and there's a 50-50, I'm going to like that. Right. Right. Versus like I know the profile, the taste profile of all the different Ryan Geist ones that I like and I choose. And when I go to get my six pack of that. Right. I know I'm going to love it all as opposed to I'm being adventurous today. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect way to say it. All right. So one last one here, because I think this is we've touched around it, but not directly. But we haven't revisited our brand in several years, but we're performing well. How often should we be doing that? And Andy, I mean, we've talked about (laughs) you're building an iconic nature of your brand. Right. But you guys have introduced new families of SKUs. Right. You've had, you know, new cans in total. Some look, you know, if you look at the original versus where you are now, there is flexibility at Cider least to accommodate. Is totally different. Totally yeah. different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my perspective on this is the brand's at the center of all the decisions you're making. If you're not checking relevancy all the time, you're just crazy, <laughs> but you get busy and it gets hard to kind of balance the deeper foundation, take the time to do that, really think through things and make sure that you are staying relevant versus the we need to be in the store with this new SKU because we're doing the changeover next week. Mm-hmm. And so how do you think about keeping, well, one, keeping your brand at center, but also then how do you know when it needs to change or flex? So I think about it. Well, I know Tracy's going to listen to this. I think about it every hour. But in all seriousness, <laughs> I think about it. I, th- I think about it constantly. I mean, Tracy and I, my boss, who's she's the head of marketing at Ryan Guys. You know, we have an Instagram channel together where we are constantly sharing things from mm-hmm. different breweries, right? Cool. So we, I mean. I mean to be a good steward of a brand, and I think that's probably the appropriate word, stewardship, mm-hmm. every single day you think about it. You think about it in every single meeting. Mm-hmm. I mean, because every single marketing decision we make, and quite frankly, every single decision we make from the business that in some way will impact consumers at the end of the day, the brand has to be tied to that. Mm-hmm. And checking those boxes of brand stewardship, ha- I mean, it's it's like... It's like when we used to write creative briefs, we would always have a section of strategy in there. And that strategy was like the constitution, so to speak, between client and agency. Mm-hmm. And we would we would reinforce that in every single – remember, this is what we agreed on and this is why. And this is – based on that, the decision should potentially be made this way, okay? So we think about it constantly. And those brand foundations that make Rheingeist, it's my responsibility to know those in and out, number one. But it's also my responsibility to speak up if I feel that there's something going astray from that. Mm -hmm. And that's when you heard phrases like brand police and all that stuff like that. Now, that being said, brands have to evolve. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Now, what the why, which is what we talked about at the very beginning, that's never going to change. But that why can 
also be interpreted in a way that can create new and different things. Mm-hmm. Cider Geist was a really interesting one. We wanted cider to be positioned in its own unique place in the aisle. But originally, our cider cans looked a lot like our fruited ale cans. Mm. So there wasn't a distinguishing mm-hmm. factor between them. That was a gut check to us that said, hey, we can still deliver on the promise of cider geist, which is to be fun, which is to kind of have this just really powerful happiness vibe to it, which is what cider is all about. But we did it in a way that has a new, unique style to it. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's very, very starkly different from our fruited ale category now. And thus, what our goal, our hope is, is that when we go and sit on shelf, it will be situated away from those fruited ale so that people immediately identify cider. So understanding what the consumer is thinking, are they connecting or not with something? That's a pivot point for us, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. It's a pivot point for us Mm -hmm. because if the consumer can't distinguish between two families of brands, well, then you got a problem. Under your same brand. Under our Mm -hmm. same brand. I mean, Mm -hmm. the architecture just gets bigger and bigger, right? The more Mm -hmm. and more we talk, but um, that's really critical. And I think Cider Geist was a good example of that because if you go to our website, where you go to any beer aisle in Cincinnati, those Cider Geist cans look nothing like mm-hmm. the Fruited Ales cans. However, the Skull Drop is still the center of that mm-hmm. design mm-hmm. and the tone of voice is the same and the brand emanates the same vibe. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, if we feel that consumers are not connecting the dots, we have to help them. Mm-hmm. And the brand has to evolve. And, and oftentimes that's just stretching the identity mm-hmm. or stretching the tone a little bit, right? Um, but it still remains authentic to the core is what well, I would say. Well, and I think you have the permission now to do yes. that as mm-hmm. well because I think you have been so consistent and you've done what makes sense for such a long time mm-hmm. that now, yes, of course, you want to address what the consumer needs, but the consumer knows you really well too. Right. And so that little bug, whether it be on my mask or your sure. skin, they – identify that immediately and then they lean you can lean further into the category speak or something that's uniquely different to communicate that you're now here Mm -hmm. but it's because you've built the brand very intentionally we've earned that right almost right right? And, and so i mean that's hard to quantify yeah other than the fact that we've been successful for as long as we have and people keep coming back um but you also we talked about, you know, being confident. You got to be confident enough to know when you've stretched too far as well. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, you know, sometimes you sometimes that just happens. Yep. Okay. And you got to just wave the white flag and say like, okay, we moved a little bit too far in this direction. Regroup, retool. We'll try something a little bit different. And that's okay. Yep. So that's what innovation is. I mean, that's what learning is, right? Yep. You talked about test and learn. I mean, it's harder. It's, it's less efficient to do test and learn with actual cans, okay? <laughs> but... Yes, that's that all plays a role. And I think, you know, to kind of sum up everything that was said here, because we've hit on all these points is reinforcing what we always talk about, but about brand. And, and when you have brand, it creates tangible value, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That allows you to command higher prices, especially in this market where you have a premium product, scale more quickly because you have the confidence in which to do so and attract more customers. And really, whatever your KPIs are, there's probably somewhere tied into that. And that's the the ability in, in the efficiency and you know the, basically the power of brand. Yeah. And never forget, like it all started with this group of this group of people that just really wanted to make good beer good because beer. they know mm-hmm. good beer makes people happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's never changed and it's never going to change. Yep. And 
we're mature enough to keep moving that forward. Even yeah. as we've grown from five people to, we're probably at, if you include all of the manufacturing pros that we have and with all the different shifts of people and the spring grow facility, I mean, my goodness, we're, we're probably close to 300 people now. Mm -hmm. So it's, but it's never going to change. So. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been awesome, Andy. It's been I'm so glad fun you guys say you. that. Yes, it's really fun. Wow. Um, for all of you listening, our third and final segment is usually a real world example of a brand who's doing things well or not so well under the topic we've been talking about. So utilizing your brand to differentiate in a crowded space and we pass it off to our guests. So you're welcome to plug Ooh. Ryan Geist. You're welcome to do whatever brand you'd like through that lens. And then, of course, uh, make sure you tell people where they can find you. So I'll get to Ryan Geist. And, and the one thing I'll say, because this is this is sort of topically relevant, given the climate that we're hopefully coming out of like soon, guys. Like, so I <laughs> Fingers got, crossed. I know I got my first vaccine the other week because apparently Ryan Geist is an essential business. So, <laughs> hey, again, there we keeps, go. Um, keeps people happy. I told you. I know. I mean, Drew's in there nodding his head, too. He's like, that's sweet. Yeah. OK, so. I go to Patagonia right now because we we talk about this, right? Especially in branding world, conscious consumerism. Mm -hmm. And it's very – Patagonia started off with a focus on giving back, keeping the earth first and foremost, being sustainable. That's never changed ever with them, even mm -hmm. as they're, they become a behemoth. Even when it wasn't popular. Even mm -hmm. No, exactly. Because that's also a political lightning rod, right? Mm -hmm. But they, they put that flag out there. And as they've grown, they've continued to, to wave that flag. And if you look at the type of people that, that buy Patagonia, they understand that. Mm -hmm. I mean, very few. I don't know a lot of people that buy Patagonia without knowing the brand promise and mm -hmm. story. It's expensive, but they can get the premium price. But they can get the premium price. And I think COVID's only probably helped their brand. Agree. You know, especially as consumers, it seems like have become more and more conscious. And I think a lot of big brands late in the game are trying to get on that wagon. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to be easy to do. I think some consumers are going to be smart enough to see through that. I'm not going to name any names, mm -hmm. but... Big corporations are starting to pour money into, you know, how do I want to say this? Community and give back type initiatives. Yep. And mm -hmm. Patagonia has never strayed from what their initiative is. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a Patagonia fan, that's a brand that I always look up to just from the standpoint of seeing how something's grown, but the core and the heart of the brand have never mm -hmm. changed. Lots of right? parallels to you guys. Mm -hmm. I think so. And so here's what I would say about Rheingeist, okay? As COVID winds down, we're going to start doing more and more fun and cool things. And as the weather gets nicer, the rooftop's going to open. And it's warmed my heart because I work out in our tap room a lot. It's a great headspace. Mm -hmm. And each week I'm in there, it gets busier and busier. Mm -hmm. Draft sales are starting to climb back up, meaning people are going back to bars. Mm -hmm. So when you feel safe, come give us a visit. And you know where we are. We're right by Finley Market, 1910 Elm Street. Um massive building and there's something for everyone there right mm -hmm. truly and so there's a lot of new things coming you guys we're gonna have more recreational activities than we've ever had before um the one thing i should we have our own woodworking shop which is kind of cool awesome so we can build things like ping pong tables and shuffleboard <laughs> and we get to do all that so i would just say you know come visit us and and if you're not a brand person then you're then you're probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> but, but, but what I would say is if you are a brand person, it's a great experience to come and see. And, and Amen to that. Yeah. Yes, and, and absolutely. Each time, and, and you know what, Ann? We did find a beer for you to drink last week, I think, didn't we? I had the cider. The cider. Yeah, yeah. we had Zappy, mm -hmm, which yeah. I think was 
gluten free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Otherwise, that's why I should have. She wouldn't br- be here. So yeah, <laughs> I should I should have brought some Zabby Day. But anyway, guys, please do come see us. One of the things that we're so focused on right now is Over the Rhine gave so much to us when mm-hmm. we started, and Cincinnati gave so much to us when we started. Even though we have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, um, this place is our home. And so giving back to this place is a huge thing in the next year, especially because we know this entire, everybody's been struggling to Mm -hmm. stay sane. And so if some beer and some good vibes can help that, um, we want you to come see us. So. Awesome. awesome. Well, again, it's been great, Andy. Thank you so much thank for you, joining gals. This us. Was fun. Yes. And with that, we will tell you to go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here, and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.